Are you ready? We ready. We ready. We ready for y'all. Welcome to my podcast, We Ready. The story of an inner city high school football coach and his attempt to affect the lives of young men in a positive way while at the same time raising a family. It's game day once again. It's Friday, November 6th, 2020. And the stakes get higher and higher as we advance late into the season. Tonight, your goalbacks with a 9-0 record, undefeated, will take on the 8-1 Crusaders of Monroe Woodbury who attempt to avenge their only loss to the mighty goalbacks. Tonight's sectional final, the 17th meeting in the last 25 years between these fierce rivals to see who can advance to the state tournament. This sectional chip will be determined by the best program in Section 9. The Goldbacks. The Crusaders coach once explained to me his beliefs about how the rivalry has grown so intensely over the years. And his logic as to how mankind views the rivalry, just the natural development of the way people view things. He said, Coach, it's the charlatans versus the rogues. I said, what do you mean, Coach? He said, it's the haves versus the have-nots. I said, really? He said, it's the good versus the bad. We didn't take kindly to that theory, for we believed that the goldbacks, our program was one of blood, sweat, and tears, hard work, a blue-collar mentality, the lunch pail, the tough inner city, boys of the Berg. And the way we viewed it, our neighbors 20 minutes to the south, the entitled, the pretty boys, the silver-spooned young men who were attempting to take what we so desperately wanted, that sectional championship. Go, go, backs! Beat the Crusaders! Right now!
some feedback from this past week. I received an instant message from an individual named Chris Whitaker. At first, I didn't recognize the name, but he complimented my We Ready podcast, and he asked if I would share some of my insights. I did some research, and I realized that Chris was a former player for the Kingston Tigers. And he played back in the time when my son played. Back in the 2005, 2006, 2007 era. Chris also informed me in his duties as now He was a high school football coach and strength and conditioning coach in a town of Dexter, Michigan, not far from Ann Arbor. And Chris shared with me that he produced his own weekly podcast called the Iron Dread Podcast. Iron Because he's a highly trained strength coach. And Dread, short for Dreadnoughts, the nickname of his high school. This past week, I was able to visit with Chris via Zoom. We spent almost two hours together in sharing and reminiscing and exchanging ideas. It was a tremendous opportunity to fellowship. That's what this this teaching, this coaching does. It creates these bonds, these, these lifelong opportunities to, to share, to give back in our profession. Chris's podcast is out on all the platforms out there, Anchor, Spotify, Google. I encourage you to listen. I will share the link with you. It's an outstanding opportunity for all of you strength coaches, strength individuals, football coaches, football people, and just conversation of life in general. It's very stimulating. I also received a contact from one of my former assistant coaches. He said, Coach, why don't you share the turn the bricks around story with your audience? He said, I've told that story that you used to tell to my players now. And he said, I think it's really something that your listeners would would get something from. I heard this story some years ago from a friend, and it's a true story. And the reason this is an important story 
for teachers, coaches, dads, business partners, people in leadership, people who have to make decisions. I think we oftentimes cut ourselves short and not examining all the possibilities. I think it's important to analyze and think outside of the box. And I think sometimes I've been charged with overthinking, overanalyzing. I know my daughter tells me, Dad, you're, you're thinking too much. Just make a decision. I feel strongly about looking at all the possibilities and focusing on the right solution instead of dwelling on the problem. Turn the bricks around. It goes like this. There was a billionaire back in the 90s from the state of Texas Very powerful man, so powerful that he actually was a third-party candidate for the presidency of the United States in developing the Reform Party. Some of you may not be old enough, but, but you can look it up. His name was Ross Perot. He was a, a smaller man in stature, and he didn't have a real strong voice. But he was a powerful man, a man of influence, and a man with great ideas. The story of turning the bricks around is one that shows a person's innovation, a person's never quitting until he gets the result that he desires. He grew up in a humble home, the suburb of Texas. And he made a pledge to himself as a young boy that when he grew to a man, he would come back and he would buy the house that he grew up in because he wanted to stay grounded. He, he wanted to go back to his roots He felt strongly about this humble red brick house on a very plain and distant street in rural Texas. He went back to his hometown and he saw the house. He called up some contractors, showed him a picture, a picture that he had in his wallet that he had from when he was a young boy. And he said, I want you guys to redo this house and I want it to look just like this picture, just the way I remembered it. For I believe that we always can go home, back to our foundation, And we're to remain humble 
and hardworking no matter how much we attain. Shit, I'll be back in a month. Month goes by. He goes back. He visits the contractors. And he sees that there's been some work done. But what jumps out of it, what jumps out of to him is that the facade of the house does not display the red bricks that he remembers so vividly as a youngster. He says to the contractors, guys, I know this is a black and white picture. Maybe you don't quite understand, but those bricks were red when I was a youngster. And I want those bricks restored. Should I'll be back in a month. So those contractors scratched their head and, and they, they were trying to figure out how are we going to get these bricks back to their new luster that they once had. For they had been painted and chipped and worn down. They tried power washing. They, they tried sanding. They tried paint. They tried everything. Month goes by. The contractors are holding their breath, hoping that the billionaire would be pleased with their efforts. The billionaire saw immediately, he shook his head and said, guys, that's not, that's not what it's, what it's supposed to look like. He said, I'll tell you what, let's take a walk inside. They went inside the house. Ross looked around. He examined the bricks on the inside of the house were bright red in an outstanding shape. And he said, men, tear this house down and turn those bricks around and I'll be back in a month. Today's team meeting, the X's and the O's, the Jimmy's and the Joe's. But first, our dedication. Today's dedication is to Mr. Chick, Chicky, Anthony Napolitano. Chick Napolitano left this earth on January 5th, 2015, at the age of 85 years old. Chicky was born in Newburgh, a graduate of NFA in 1947. Chicky was the certified athletic equipment manager for the Goldbacks. Chicky was NFA football. Chicky was responsible for all the athletic gear for Gridiron Nation. Chicky served so many players and coaches for so many years. His bright disposition, his cheery smile, the grace and humbleness in which he led his life 
was a great teacher for the young men in our program. Chicky was a member of the United States Navy and also an outstanding athlete and coach in his day. This episode is dedicated to you, Chicky, and all that you've done in your 45 years as the head equipment manager for the Goldbacks. We miss you. We love you. We rest in peace. God bless until we meet again. We love you, Anthony, Chick, Napolitano. Break down! Today's team meeting. The X's and the O's in the development of what you're going to hang your hat on schematically And how you're going to develop your fundamentals. How your coaches, your teachers are going to implement the many facets that our game has developed over the years. As well as the balance of developing your players. The old adage, it's not the X's and the O's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. The old post-game commentary from those in the stands. We would have won the ball game if the coach knew what he was doing. Or anybody could coach that team. They have tremendous talent. There's probably some truth somewhere in all of that. For I believe that it's our purpose as coaches to not display your football knowledge, but to be able to teach the scheme that you believe in. You've heard of the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. I once had a coach visit, his name is Rob Spence. He's been all over the country. He had recruited goldback players for years at many different stops. He said to me, coach, let me see your playbook. I was just starting out as the head coach. And I'm ashamed to tell you that my playbook was probably three inches thick. I didn't know any better. Basically, I was just insecure. I figured I'd have everything I've ever learned in this playbook and something's going to work.
Coach Spence said to me, Coach, the thicker your playbook is, the more difficult it is to win. I learned very early on as the head coach that you've got to find something that you can hang your hat on based on the talent that you have for that season and develop that talent. So I will share with you my belief of threes. There are many threes that I prided our program upon. Let's first tackle the X's and O's part of it. My first triad, my first belief that the three parts of our game, the offense, the defense, in the kicking game. I believe that your plan of attack from an offensive standpoint must have three layers, three personnel groupings, three ways of dividing the field. And in our playbook, we would have an attack that created space, an attack that attacked downhill, and an attack that got to the perimeter. Those offensive groupings, the space attack, which we would know nowadays is the spread offense, we ran the spread years and years ago, and you know I know it's in vogue now, but it's something that we had seen many, many years ago with some of the stuff that that college programs were running, Mouse Davis, the run and shoot, those type of concepts, creating space making people defend the whole field and be able to understand the box and understanding that there are eight gaps and understanding that depending upon how many people that they have in the box, it's going to depend on how we're going to distribute the ball. That's pretty basic stuff, but it's a belief. It's something you want to hang your hat on. That was a third of our offense in my goldback offensive program. The second part, the second layer, was the downhill game, the ISO power toss counter trade boot out of the eye backs, out of the eye game, where we would create gaps. And again, we're looking at numbers, the fullback giving us an extra blocker, old school football. And then the third layer, the third tier, no split, double wing. We can get seven men to the point of attack 
It's an offense that you can use in inclement weather. It can utilize power blocking, wedge blocking. It's old smash mouth football, but at the same time, you can create many mismatches with shifts and motions and unbalanced formations. We hung our hat on these three gears of football. From a defensive standpoint, over the years we've been multiple, but we always got back to the rule of three. We would have a base defense, one that matched our talent. Over the years, We've been in in Gator defense, which is which is the old Miami, uh, the old Florida Gator, four three defense, uh, pretty much a balanced defense, um, where you were five and a half, five and a half. Um, the only problem with that four three, you know, was when people wanted to go too tights against you, they they forced you to tilt. Um, Our second layer of defense would be our defense in which we were defending the pass first, run late, and we would get into nickel and dime packages from that. Some people call it a prevent. We never really called it a prevent. We called it we called it hawk or eagle. And we would use that when when we were willing to give up things underneath and we were rallying to the ball when we knew it was a passing situation at the end of the half, at the end of the game. And then our third layer of defense was what some people would call a goal line defense, short yardage defense. We would get big up front and we would crowd the ball and we would play a a, a, a run first morph to pass defense on the back end but again, the, these three levels with three different personnel groupings, what we hung our hat on in goldback football for many years. And from a kicking game standpoint, our first level in the kicking game was just to be sound and to be balanced and to be able to break down in the open field and make plays in the kicking game and in the return game to make sure we had ball security, make sure we that we didn't shoot ourselves in the foot with penalties, that we blocked in the front. And we wanted to make sure that, that we could play the field position game in that base level of the kicking game. And that second part of the triad in the kicking game we would have some change-ups, some fakes, some blocks, where we would go after the kicker, after the punter, those type of things. And then we would have what we call our safe game, where we're just going to make sure that, that we hold the fort and we're going to defend 
any unusual possibilities in the kicking game. That triad in our schemes is what we hung our hat on. In terms of the player development and the coaching development, you know, from from a player standpoint, in terms of getting ready to execute those schemes, we believe throughout our calendar, throughout our year, our program would be divided up into strength development, speed development, and skill development. And we had many opportunities to work that triad. I know there are some programs that, 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 that hang their hat on, on, on just the weight room um, and, and, and kind of skimp on the area of speed development and skill development. And, and, and some people use all kinds of combinations of they're just practicing football and they're not spending time in the weight room. Um, we believed in the triad of strength development to help get ready for our game, to help minimize the risk of injury, speed development, for we know that speed is a very important factor in our game, and then skill development, making sure that that we have a, a toolbox for our players and we coach up those skills that are required to get the job done in those positions. In terms of a coach, the way we viewed our triad as coaches, it would be first that, that we want to all take a look at ourselves and develop ourselves individually as coaches, as teachers, as men. And then we wanted to develop ourselves as a staff, as a member of a coaching staff. And then we wanted to develop ourselves in relation to our our everyday operation with our young men. As far as coaching development, we would spend a lot of time throughout the year in making sure we were all on the same page because it really didn't matter what you knew as far as football, what mattered was that you understood the schemes that we were running and how your teaching fit in with the overall team scheme. For example, you know, you you may have been somebody that played college football and, you know, maybe you played running back and now you're coaching um, the linebackers um, in a particular defense. So if you were coaching the, the, the Mike linebacker in a 4-3 scheme, and in, in our scheme, per se, you, you would need to know all the specifics of what that linebacker does. And that may be different than when you played in high school and you were in a 50 defense. So it's important that that you understand the scheme and how to coach it and that we're all on the same page. We would have opportunities as a coaching staff to come together 
and evaluate our toolbox, what we want to teach our players and our individual positions, how we were going to implement our groups into a team setting. So, for example, on defense, we broke down into indie individual, and we're working our defensive linemen with the defensive line coach, our linebackers with the linebacker coach, our secondary with the secondary coach. And now as we come together, we're making sure we all understand our roles, our fits, our keys, our schemes. And that was critical that we were all on the same page. We would go to clinics in the off season. We would clinic one another. I know my coaches would get upset with me. We would go away to a clinic, and I felt it was important that we would all go to different sessions at the clinic, and at the end of the day, we'd come back to the room and uh, share what we learned, and everyone would have an opportunity to go around. And um, I know, I know, uh, I heard whispers that, that that guys were they were anxious to get out to the bar and and, and go gamble, but. Um, and I understood that that was that's that that's a big part of the fellowship of getting away. But but I also thought it was important that we that we kind of got something out of it, you know, immediately, um, so we could share our knowledge. It's important as coaches in teaching those X's and O's that we don't confuse our players. I've been in situations where we had some outstanding talent on the field, but if we got confused and we played slow and we were thinking too much, it slowed us down and we made mistakes. I remember one time there was a young man who happens to be uh, a big-time commander in the United States Armed Forces right now, he's one of our top top guys in the uh, in the CIA, and um, we were at practice one day, and we we're we we're, we're going over a scheme. I don't even remember exactly what it was, but I remember uh, our line coach was blasting him. He was he was an offensive lineman, and our line coach was was blasting him and. I was observing, and um, at the end of practice, I could see the kid was frustrated. So uh, I, I go over, and the line coach is there, and he's there. And I'm like, uh, his name was Blake, great kid. I think he lives in Tennessee now. I'm like, Blake, what is going on? What is the problem? So I'm trying to loosen loosen him up and ch- trying to you know make a little light and trying to get him to relax. And I'm like... Listen, Blake, what is going on? Is everything okay today? You know, you having problems, you know, your girlfriend or whatever. And uh, he's serious as heck. He 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 doesn't, you know, he's not in a playful mood. He's frustrated. And, uh, and he's kind of, he's kind of a, I don't want to say goofy, but he's a funny kid and, and a great kid. Anyway, he goes, Coach, I'm easily confused. 
And with that, we all started breaking up. The offensive line coach and myself will never forget that. But, but um, I think it's important that we remember that we as coaches, you know, we may understand everything and, and, and it flows in our mind, but kids do get confused. And um, we got to make sure that, that we can reach them and make sure they understand what's going on. I think that uh, the whole purpose of the coaching, you know, in the off season, in season, the whole the whole thing is about game night, and everything that we do in developing our program, leading up to the season, um, is about how we handle that game night, and I think it's important that we coach the coaches that we all understand our role on game night and that we're effective in how we use those sets of eyes up top and how we use those headphones in our communication and our verbiage and not having wasted uh, comments. And we're not cheerleading and we're not yelling at officials. We're, We're being objective and we're getting the information that we need. I think it's important we want to make sure we understand the situation, that, that, that we have people that are charting and people that are letting us know down in distance how much time on the 25-second clock, how, much time, how many timeouts are left, where is the ball, personnel groupings coming in and off the field from the opponent. I mean, there, there's a whole checklist of things that we need to know. How much time can we burn with the amount of timeouts that we have. And I think that's important. That's a critical part of, of time management and, and, and just our ability to be effective on game night. There are so many issues that we are dealing with in developing and balancing the schemes the X's and O's, and our relationships with our players and the talent that we have and the development of that talent, the Jimmys and the Joes. And in doing that, we do need to be flexible and creative, and we do need to make adjustments. And again, I go back to the three-tier system, the triad that I believe in. I believe it gives you flexibility and gives you opportunities for when a player's not available, when a player's injured, when the weather doesn't cooperate, your opponent. I also believe that you want to be sound in your schemes. But I think there are times that it's appropriate to employ what some people would call, well, what I call is the screw it philosophy, meaning sometimes we would implement a scheme that technically is not sound, but we're going to challenge you to figure that out and to then beat it. I think in high school football, there are so many different factors you need to look at 
and understanding one or two players can make the difference in a game and in a season. And on any given day, in high school football, anything can happen. I think that in developing your culture, I think football must be important in your community. It must be important in your high school. And I think people must understand the demands of the game require such commitment. I think in being reasonable, being logical, understanding that in developing your players, a big part of that development is your relationship with them, your understanding them, knowing that you cannot coach every player the same. Some young men will respond to coaching in different ways. And it's also important to understand and to try desperately to find a way to get to that young man that, that's going to be positive and helpful. But I also think you need to understand as coaches, I learned this a long time ago, at some point you have to realize you can't coach the uncoachables. And I think it's, it's the same way in almost anything we do in life. So in hanging your hat on your beliefs and in developing your program in understanding how you want to move the ball on offense, how you want to defend the ball on defense and your beliefs in the kicking game, I can tell you this, there are some programs that don't believe in the punt game. You can go look it up. There are programs that never punt. They hang their hat on, we're going to use all four downs. And if we don't get the first down, we're going to play defense. And if you score, we're going to get the ball and we're just going to outscore you. There are some programs that don't kick extra points. They go for two every time. And they this new analytical thing that's going on in all the sports, some believe that Kicking an extra point is not the way to go. You should go for two. There, there are many different ways of skinning a cat, whatever you believe in. Do your research. You know, you believe in it, sell it, and then perfect it. In closing this topic, I think the litmus test is is your program one that is consistently competitive? If we're going to talk about the Jimmys and the Joes, the X's and the O's, is your program one that, that wins every four, five, six years because you have a good group of kids? It's also in relation to your competition, the demographics that you have, demographics you're competing against. Or is your program consistently competitive? And is that because 
you've worked hard at it, you've developed your your coaches, your players, your program. And this is not any type of judgment or any type of of trying to make sense out of who who the haves and who the have-nots are. This is simply about analyzing and constantly being able to find a solution to being able to compete for championships. Right now! In our next episode, episode 10, I will talk about building a positive culture for your football program in making it a special opportunity for the young men, for your school community, and for your friends and family. Thank you for listening. Be safe. God bless. And go Goldbacks.